From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Putnick, and what a weekend of football. From the college football landscape all the way to the NFL world, it's been a great weekend. We'll talk about all the big games from this past weekend, along with the FSU uh, 41-17 loss to Pitt last week. And we're going to make a few Masters predictions at the end of the show. I'm really excited for the Masters this time. It's always exciting, this, uh, but it's even more because we have a fall Masters for once, for first time in forever. So, first time ever, actually. But but first, as always, I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Austin Reynolds. Atlanta, two games. That's a winning streak, is it not? It is, yeah. And it's it's really nothing that Falcons fans aren't used to, winning games when they don't matter. Uh, I've, I've heard talk that... Raheem Morris is like really well liked by this team that uh, the ownership is considering giving him a head coach interview that he does not have to go 10 and one uh, for the remainder of the season to be in the mix for that job. So that's, that's interesting that they're that high on him already, but I, I expect the, uh, the fortune to turn pretty soon here when they start playing the saints and bucks. Would you have rather to kind of be going on the tank for Trevor path right now, or are you fine with these two wins? I, I'm fine with these two wins as long as we can keep it to two, because I mean, I am honestly really anti-tanking. I'm, I'm on that side of things. Uh, I think that Matt Ryan still has probably two or three good years left in him. So I want them to kind of write out his last contract and not just like give him the old yeller treatment for Justin Fields. That's fair. Cause my next question was going to be how much longer does Matt Ryan have, but mm-hmm. you've answered it with that two to three years. Uh, we're going to be joined by Sebastian Angel Riano in just a moment. He's coming in a little bit late this evening. We also are going to have Brett Rutherford calling in for the second half of the show, talking a little bit of the NFL and some, maybe some college football dependent on how much we get in on that first half. And we also have Max Rindy on Twitter tonight at talk underscore Tomahawk. So get on there and give him a follow. Let's get into the big game from this past weekend. Florida State loses to the Pittsburgh Panthers 41-17. It looked good in the first half. It looked promising. Let's call it at least that cuz Florida State was down about was 24-17 at the half. Hmm. And then things got really ugly when Jordan Travis came out due to an undisclosed injury, still undisclosed as of Monday. I think Norvell says he's going to start giving out a little bit more information on injuries on Wednesday. So we'll have something there. But Jordan Travis comes out. James Blackman comes in for the first drive of that first of the second half, throws an interception, and then uh, Pitt keeps laying it on. Chuba Purdy then comes in, the freshman who was 0 for 9 in his first go at it in Louisville a couple weeks ago. He didn't go play too much better, 12 for 21, and only 38 yards and a pick. So, not really. A great showing from another guy who has been t- highly touted and has a lot of promise. And I really do hope he still has a lot of promise because these first couple outings have not been pretty. But let's keep it going with the recap here. Florida State's defense just couldn't really make a stop. Jo- uh, Pickett, uh, Kenny Pickett was actually playing this week as opposed to what we thought on Monday because Monday is a lot different than Saturday. And when we got to Saturday, Pickett was ready to roll and he played very well. He to, uh, tore up the Seminoles even though he didn't have a touchdown he still played very well they pulled him every single time they were on the goal line and they just ran a QB sneak so that was pretty much the day and then defense offensive line Florida State kind of got ran through they were a group of turnstiles uh, Pitt had seven sacks was a 14 tackles for losses just not a great day Austin what did you see I saw the exact same thing that you did and the exact same thing that we thought would happen uh, coming into this game on Monday night we knew that Pitt's defensive line was going to be a force to be reckoned with, especially for this FSU offensive line that has been much maligned for our stay here at Florida State. So it, it, it was kind of disheartening to see Chubba Purdy and uh, not so much James Blackman because he was in there for three plays, but uh, uh, Jordan Travis on the run for as, as much of the game as they were because the offensive line just could not find good, good enough prote- protection. Uh, the seven sacks and 14 tackles for loss kind of speak to that, but it's, it's really nothing that surprised me. And with Jordan Travis, if Jordan Travis stays in this game, if he doesn't go out with this undisclosed injury, does Florida State win? No, <laughs> because they showed me nothing in the second quarter to inspire faith in me. Because, I mean, you get out to a 14-3 start in the first quarter. That's really akin to what we've seen from Florida State so far this season. Have a couple good scripted drives, and then when you're, when the opposition is able to make adjustments, you are not able to. Or the adjustments that you make are just not good enough. So... I 
that second quarter was a far cry from what we saw in the first, and I just don't think that FSC would have been able to keep it up. On Florida State's first two drives, they had two touchdowns, 13 plays, uh, over 160 yards, and about four minutes of play. After that, Florida State went interception, turnover on downs, punt, turnover on downs, punt, end of half. That was just the first half. I don't really want to get into the second half at this moment. We'll talk about Chubba in a minute. But why is this team why does this team struggle so much to make these adjustments because they can never get past that they can never play well into their third drive against a good team maybe it was just because Pitt started to figure it out that if they just send five pass rushers they're going to do well because they can guard six the other you can use their other six defenders to guard the wide receivers and other running backs that might be out there and their five are going to be better than FSU's five on the O-line and it's it's so odd because like you make a good point, but just speaking to the experience, like the the ability to sort of make those adjustments uh, on the player side, you're not dealing with a bunch of underclassmen guys here. This is this is an older team. We have a lot of uh, juniors and seniors on this team. Um, not, not at quarterback, obviously. That's one of the least experienced uh, parts of this roster, especially with James Blackman almost certainly getting the boot after this week. But I mean, you have guys that have been in-game situations and really should anticipate uh, changes from play to play, quarter to quarter, half to half. Um, but, I mean, against a defensive line as fierce as Pitts, and I, I don't want to make any excuses, like, it's it was going to be an ugly affair either way. Yeah, and FSU, I mean, you talk about their youth. I believe they're playing right now in this game against Pitt. They had close to 70% of the players that were on the field are, for like, freshmen or sophomore guys. Oh, really? So it's really a young team that's out there, and I, hmm. I maybe I saw this quote on Twitter. I can't remember who I saw that put it out there, but yeah, I did see that there was a lot of youth being thrown around the field this weekend. So it's a tough it's tough when you do have those young guys going up against the best D, arguably the best D line in the nation, because now they're at thirty eight sacks in uh, their games this season so far, and it's it's tough. And so Jordan Travis, I mean, he looked good in his for relatively speaking, I guess, that uh, big run that he had, the longest run by quarterback, touchdown run in Florida State history, that was impressive. But still, there's nothing really to tip your cap to other than those first couple drives. And that's been the majority of Florida State football this year. But let's talk a little bit about the offense in the second half. And Chubba Purdy, so we we already talked about Jane Blackman. We already know the deal there. But Chubba Purdy still... A highly touted recruit came out of Arizona this past uh, fall, and he's just not looking good. And are we just gonna are we gonna give him the pass here, saying it's the D line that was really causing the issues, or is this really on him? I'm torn because he he still has not played up to his potential. Definitely, um, I think just going on a little tangent here, I think some of the hype behind he and Tate Rotomaker uh, coming into this season was just based off the inability of the previous administration to uh, recruit any quarterbacks. So people were just excited for any change, looking for any sort of hope in these two guys coming in as true freshmen. So, I mean, expectations were going to be dashed when Chubba Purdy did not live up to them. Um, but, I mean, the as, as good as the defensive line is for Pitt, I just... I, I, I'm not inspired by his play at all, honestly. I see what you mean there, because yeah. you look at Sam Howell at UNC, yeah. and we can gawk over him as long as we want, but... In his freshman year, he was making plays against yeah. good teams, and you were like, wow, that kid has potential. That kid has something. There was only one time in that game against Pitt where I looked at Chubb after a good play, after a good pass, and I said, he threw a strike right there. That was a great pass, and that's the first time I've said it because in that game against Louisville, he was not throwing the ball well. He threw like yeah. an unconfident freshman quarterback that wasn't supposed to be in that game. But now he's supposed to be here. He's supposed to be playing in these games right now because Jordan Travis isn't hurt. And if Jordan Travis is going to be hurt for NC State on Saturday, yes. Chubba Purdy's going to be playing. It's going to be a Chubba-Tate uh, tandem, possibly. Yeah, that's really scary considering uh, what Tate put out it, uh, starting against JSU. And like you mentioned, the one pass that Chubba threw, I, I believe it was like an 11 or 12-yard pass to uh, to not Gabe Neighbors, he's in the NFL Cam now. McDonald's. Cam McDonald, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the wrong tight end. <laughs> Uh, I've just been seeing like so many Chargers highlights. From him. You're watching the uh, you're watching uh, Gabe's two touchdowns that he had this exactly, past weekend. Yeah. yeah, good for him. Shout out to him. But there there was that one pass. But obviously, like the the play that he has put on the field, obviously, like we've been hearkening back to, uh, does not give me a lot of faith. If Travis is not able to go, and I mean this this complicates the quarterback room even further because James Blackman, you put him out there as sort of like 
really a position where he can do no good. He can only harm his reputation, and that's exactly what he did. So he is probably third on the quarterback depth chart right now. I, I wouldn't put him behind Rotomaker just based on what Rotomaker did against JSU, but this is a lot more complicated if Travis is not able to go. Yeah, it's going to be ugly, and we'll have to. We're really going to be waiting on Wednesday, on yep. bated breath, on Norbell's press conference Wednesday afternoon to see what the results are. Because also, Marvin Wilson didn't play in this game either. Nope. Marvin Wilson was hurt. Tomorrow and Terry did come back. Hamsa, I can't remember seeing Hamsa out there. He, he was not out there. Yeah, he wasn't out there on Saturday. But Terry, I mean, Terry looked okay. Two catches for 14 yards. That mm-hmm. was kind of what you expected out of him. Not getting a lot of time in there, but. I mean, they did. I did notice they were moving him around a little bit in pre-snap uh, motion. He's gotten again some action there, but nothing too great from him. I mean, did you see anything else? Nothing really, no. And it's it's kind of what I expected. I think I alluded to it one or two shows ago that when he came back, he was not going to be probably at 100%. I didn't expect him to, to just light up the game, and that's exactly what he did. I mean, it, it doesn't help that his starting quarterback was out for the second half. That's, that's not going to help any receiver's numbers, but... I'm unsurprised by his uh, 14 yards in this game. I think the big game for Terry coming up is going to be that Clemson game. That's really going to make or break that draft stock. Mm -hmm. I know he's still got a ton of talent. He's still very projectable and everything, but you want to see him go up against some real quality talent on the defensive side, it's going to be against Clemson. So we're going to have to wait and see on how he feels then. I think he should be closer to 100% by the time we get to Clemson. That's another two weeks from now. That's November 21st. But... Let's talk about some other parts of this team here. The defense, they, or sorry, not a defense, sorry. The offense, offensive play calling, fourth down. They were one for three on fourth down conversions. The two times that they did not get it, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty here, but they had chances at possibly getting 10 points. They had a missed field goal and a touchdown. And they, it's, would they have, they should, they would have, I was calling for them to punt. That would have been the better idea there, but Norvell decides to go for it. They come up short a couple of times. Is that the flat out wrong decision or do you see the method to their madness? I see the method to the madness. Um, I'm not as deep into analytics as Norvell is or anybody on this coaching staff, because that's the metric that they use to make those decisions. But just on a surface level, I get that they recognize that points are going to be at a premium against this pit team because their defense does not match. I mean, their offense does not match up well against Pitt's defense. So any opportunity you can get to, say, convert a fourth and one, fourth and two. I know they tried a fourth and five. That was a little out there. But any opportunity to extend a drive and wear out that defense that you know is going to be just rampaging on your offensive line, I'm fine with that. Maybe not the play calls themselves, but the thought of going for it on fourth down, I'm, I'm completely fine with. Yeah, and we can continue with the play calling in a way here. Florida State, they really, uh, you mentioned this on our notes, they abandoned the run, second mm-hmm. half, and there was nowhere to be found. I mean, Jordan Travis, once again, is the leading rusher of this team in this game, obviously due to that 88-yard touchdown in the first half. But do you agree with abandoning the run here, or do you are you fine with them just saying, hey, Chubba, you got to chuck it? I can see both uh, both sides to this. I mean, telling a kid in his first prolonged game action, you got to chuck it, that's a lot of weight to put on him, especially when he's on the run really two seconds after the snap. Uh, that was a common theme on Saturday night. Um, but I, I really do wish that FSU would have incorporated more running into their second-half offensive game plan because while that is a stout defensive line, you had to at least try because, I mean, outside of the 88-yard 80, touchdown run, uh, I'm, I'm not sure about the exact numbers, but I think it was like five yards per rush even without that one. So that's that's encouraging going into the second half. I don't know why they wouldn't use that as an avenue to get back in the game. With all of the rushing stats, including this is including Chubba, five carries for negative five yards, uh, they're averaging 4.2 a carry. Okay. So not too great, no. let's put it that way. I mean, uh, Jayshon Corbin had six carries, 31 yards. LaDamian Webb, seven carries, 28 yards. Ontario had one for nine yards, but... It's you ha- I really think they had to incorporate the run more often just so you could at least help Chubba like not feel like it's all him. Mm-hmm. Because when you just it it's got he has to have felt like he was out on an island oh, yeah. on Saturday night. And that's really a tough place to put a rookie quarterback. And that's where I do feel a little bit of sympathy for the guy, but he didn't step up either and make those plays. So yeah. it's it's even concerning when you don't see Norvell saying, Hey, okay, he's struggling. We need like to do something here, whether it be getting a pitch out wide or something, because obviously you can't run it straight into that defensive line because they're barreling down. That's like running into a brick wall at that point. So 
they really oh, it's sp- spreading the ball out was the only goal or the only possible way of winning this game obviously it got really out of hand really fast for this Florida State team but is is there one positive to take away from this week I mean the the kicking game was fine they went one for one uh it was Grothaus right that got the one kick the field goal like a 47 yard field goal I believe I believe so yeah so I mean we were talking about the kicking woes from 35 yards and beyond <laughs> that's a step in the right direction 100 from 47 <laughs> exactly so yeah, that I mean that was good. Another thing that I noticed that was relatively decent one uh, was penalties. Only yep. eight penalties this week, so not as bad compared to past weeks. That's four less than I think the season total, the season high, which was twelve. Mm. But uh, the only time that I noticed penalties really being an issue was on the offensive line. There was a, a couple, one too many, I'd say, offsides or uh, calls like that, and that's what really killed them. But yeah, only eight penalties, fifty-seven yards, not bad. Yeah, that's a better showing than we're used to from the past couple of years here. So, I mean, that's it could be a step in the right direction. Uh, obviously, like when you're losing games, you expect to be penalized more. So if this team can tighten up those mistakes, uh, tighten up some of those unforced errors that you were alluding to, like the offensive line, the false starts, all those, then that could be part of the formula to winning football games on the backside of the season. Another good thing that I saw was uh, them getting to pit to third down way more often than I'd seen them get a lot of other teams to. They had... Pitt had 15 third down chances. They had 16 total first downs, and they were 7 for 15 on third down. So, I mean, it's about 500. That's about what you expect from a team. But still, getting the team to third down a chance for them to have a punt situation just after is huge. And that's something that I was really harping on earlier this season when teams were just getting first downs left and right on, or getting first downs on first and second down. So that's a nice little thing to see out of this weekend. But there is... There are there any more winnable games on the schedule? We're looking at the rest of the schedule here. They got about four games or so left. They'll take on NC State this weekend, Clemson the next, Virginia Thanksgiving weekend, and then they close the season out at Duke. Is there any winnable games left? Because I know we've we've said a lot. We yeah. Old Takes Exposed would have a field day with this yeah. show. Thankfully, they have not found us yet. But <laughs> we call a lot of these games winnable, and we're dead wrong a lot of the time. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's that's just a part of being in the FSU market, like you kind of, uh, in the FSU beat, I guess, uh, like you convince yourself that uh, some of these games are more winnable than they really are. Although, I mean, to be fair, nobody expected, say, Georgia Tech to be uh, as, as good week one as they were against FSU. So I, I don't think you can really fault us in that regard. But as far as winnable games left on this schedule so far, I would say Duke is definitely winnable and NC State might be a stretch. I would not give us uh, give FSU any hope of beating Clemson or really Virginia. So th- those two games, if, if they were to win one game, it would be Duke and NC State is a, is a stretch. They should beat Duke. Yeah. Let's yeah, Duke's that the winnable game here. That's the should win game there. But they should have beaten Louisville and Georgia Tech. <laughs> yeah, well that coulda shoulda woulda. That's the that's the moral of the story here. But if there's another game, it would be I would if you're saying NC State's more winnable than UVA for this team right now. I think so, yeah. I don't know, I'm flipping. I'd say NC State, I they're NC State's not gonna be pretty this weekend. NC State put up forty one on Miami. They only lost you know, they lost a tight game to the U on Friday night. They did, yeah. And I was I was watching the latter end of that game because I saw that Miami was down and I was uh, kind of hoping for the upset now that we we're getting some uh, chaos in the college football landscape, but that was not to be. Uh, Miami did come out and clinch the victory, but that was an impressive performance against probably the third best team in the ACC. So I can definitely see where you're coming from, but I just, for, uh, when you think of like ACC powerhouse teams, I can never think of NC State in that conversation. So NC kind of, State always gives Florida State trouble. They do. I mean, that's just a classic kind of thing for this team and this program. So they're always circled. But the one thing, the one bright side that Florida State might have and something to hold on to here is after Florida State, NC State plays Liberty. Liberty is the 22nd team in the nation right now. NC State's got to win some big games, and Florida State isn't a big game at this moment. It's Liberty. Who would have thunk out of these two games, the one team that's ranked is Liberty. So maybe Florida State catches NC State in a look-ahead game. I said it. Florida State is a part of the look-ahead game for once, and Florida State is the worst (laughs) of these two. So there might be a chance. Yeah, I mean, there's always an opportunity for that. Uh, it's it's strange that you're saying that. I mean, it's it's true that you're saying it, but it is strange to say that FSU is one of those trap games for yeah. teams because, I mean, that hasn't been true for the majority of the time that we've been alive. But uh, stranger times. Yeah, so watch out. This might be this is the trap slash look ahead game for NC State this week against Florida State. 
Do we have any quick predictions before we get on to some other college football stuff? While I said that FSU could win this game and that it's, in my opinion, the second most winnable game on their schedule so far, I don't think they're going to be able to come out and win, especially with the uncertainty surrounding a lot of the players, uh, specifically Jordan Travis, Marvin Wilson. I mean, Coach Norvell gave some clarity on his status. He said, oh, Marvin's been dealing with a few issues this, this year, and we knew that he wouldn't be available for Pitts for about a week and a half, but he wouldn't say what those issues were. If it's something to do with the hand surgery that he had at the end of last season or something else, who knows? But uh, missing Jordan Travis, potentially missing Marvin Wilson, I, I would expect him to be out for this game. And then we still have no idea when Hampson Nazarlene is going to be back. So uh, that's that's three key players that FSU is going to be down. So I would say NC State takes this one. Yeah, I'm going NC State as well. This one is not going to be pretty. This is this is the Bailey Hockman full revenge game because I don't oh think he played all of last year against FSU. Mm-hmm. Devin Leary, their quarterback, is out still as of right now. This could change because this is really, I think, week four or five of his injury. So they said uh, ESPN projected four to eight weeks as his timetable for return. We're right about the middle of that timetable. So we might be seeing Devin Leary come in for NC State. And if he does play, maybe Florida State can take advantage of him getting his just getting his feet wet again. But still, I'm saying NC State 41, Florida State 10. This is not going to be a good one, folks. 41-10, that's... That's wild. No bueno. I I, I would think uh, NC State takes it by a smaller margin. I was thinking, say, like 35-20, potentially. But, I mean, still a, a considerable win for NC State. Yeah, and so that was, those are the predictions. Take it with what you will. Tweet your predictions at talk underscore Tomahawk. Let's see yeah. what you all got for yeah. the rest of this weekend. We are trying to get on the right side of old takes exposed for once. So <laughs> Exactly. I want to be right for once. I yeah. don't think I've been right. I think I may have been right maybe like once this year. This, is, this has not been a good year picking FSU-wise. So, 2020. Yeah, exactly. Let's We can talk about some other actual FSU news. We got a f- couple other little headlines coming through about FSU. FCU Soccer, they'll be taking on Notre Dame tomorrow at 12.30 on the ACC Network in round one of the ACC Soccer Championship Tournament. So that'll be a lot of fun to watch. I'm excited for that. I'll be tuning in at 12.30. I think, yeah, my class gets just out right at 12, so that's perfect timing for me. So I'm excited for that one. Do you have a, Do we have predictions for this one too? I'm going to stick with the same prediction that I made on uh, Talk and Chop, the FSVU podcast with Logan Grutschfeld a couple days ago. I'm thinking FSU 2-0. Uh, I don't think it's going to be quite as brutal as the 5-0 uh, victory that FSU scored on, on opening day. Just by account of uh, both teams' trends since then, Notre Dame's offense has, has quieted down and defense has tightened up, really. I think I mentioned this on the podcast as well. Half the goals that Notre Dame surrendered on the season came in that first game against FSU. They scored 12, or scored 12 goals and surrendered 10, so... Five of those ten came from FSU. Well, if, if that's all true, I think I'm going to take Florida State one, Notre Dame nothing okay. in this one. I know I don't go nil, whatever. I don't speak proper soccer terminology. And I, I, I was just trying to impress Brett in case he's yes. listening because I know he's the big <laughs> soccer fanatic. So. Yeah, I guess. We'll go one nothing. One nothing Florida State. Yeah. But uh, last other FSU sports headline, uh, Florida State men's basketball. We got preseason AP poll coming out today. Florida State is now 21. They finished last year Right before, right at the end of the regular season, at the beginning of the ACC tournament, they finished at fourth. Now they're at 21st. Is everyone sleeping on Florida State again? You could say that, but they are losing a considerable part of their offense in Patrick Williams, Devin Vassell, and Trent Forrest. Obviously, one of the the leaders of this team, Trent Forrest, was for four years here. So, I mean, there's some uncertainty around this program, but, I mean, they've had good recruiting classes so far. They're bringing in a couple guys like uh, Scotty Barnes, right? Uh, he's supposed to be a big part in this offense. Um, I, just based on the uncertainty, like the the un the un uh, unfounded hype, I guess you could say, twenty one is fair. Uh, it's it is a little bit of a a dip from four, so that's kind of shocking to me. But I'm just as long as FSU is in the top twenty five, I think that's fair. I was I was more or less expecting fifteen, sixteen, okay. seventeen. That was I think twenty in the twenties is a bit much. I'd say for this team, I think they're. A lot better than people expect, like every single season. This yeah. team surprises everyone with the way they play, and they play hard, tough basketball. And I expect a lot more of that. And they bring some they bring some other veterans back, too. Why Wilkes is still going to be here. They still got Anthony oh, yeah. Polite. So, I mean, Balsha is going to be in a second year. Hopefully he can stay a little bit more healthy because mm-hmm. he's going to be a big—he's going to be impactful this year. Because yeah. Especially with— um. I'm blanking on his name right now, but the other center that was a graduate transfer from Old Miss, um, Alinechek. Yeah. yeah, Dom. Dom Alinechek. Uh, he was 
uh, sort of building up Balsa in his first year, so Balsa's definitely going to be taking over that center role uh, for the time being. We know that Leonard Hamilton doesn't really like to play his centers that much, but when they are in the game, uh, Balsa's going to be definitely taking the, the brunt of the, the offense under the rim. So good. Uh, interested to see more from him this year. Yeah, and I think we actually will be learning the ACC basketball schedule tomorrow afternoon, according to John Rothstein on Twitter. He's a great college basketball follow if you're into that stuff. So go look at his stuff and expect to see a lot of FSU news come out. And I think as of right now, the only two games that are on schedule is Florida in Tallahassee and then Indiana also in Tallahassee. Right. So two really good games. That's going to be a lot of fun. FSU will be looking to get back against both of those teams. They played against both last season. So those were two good games. Not really the Indiana one though, because that one was kind of, they, Indiana shot the lights out that night from what I remember. But Florida, I think they're going to go look for six straight wins over the Gators. Mm-hmm. That'll be huge. So we'll get to we'll get to a little bit more college basketball preview in the coming weeks because this is the month where college basketball starts to get underway. Hopefully, we start seeing some of the uh, preseason kind of early season tournaments keep it going. I know we won't have the Maui tournament in Maui, probably also the Atlantis tournament in Atlantis, but still a lot of fun basketball coming our way in Florida State. Alleged, according to many students. Florida State's a basketball school, so we'll see how it goes this year. But let's talk about some college football news, and this will probably bleed over into the second half a little bit. But the game game of the year, possibly, arguably. I would say certainly. Notre Dame-Clemson. Notre Dame wins 47-40. to No Trevor Lawrence. It's all DJU. I cannot say his last name still. I don't know how to say his last name still, and I've heard it said 100 times. <laughs> so... He looked pretty. He looked better than his first game against Boston College. So significantly better. I know he still was hanging around a fifth, a five, uh, a fifty percent completion percentage, mm-hmm. but no interceptions. Solid game. Put up forty points. He can't complain, especially when Travis Etienne was non-existent in this game. Notre Dame's run defense was stellar. Yeah, they did a great job of a great job rather of shutting Etienne down. Uh, the all-time leading ACC rusher. Uh, so definitely DJ. I'm going to take another stab at this. Uyagalele, I think that's how you do it. Good uh, enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm, we're going to roll with it. Uh, he, he had a great showing. I, I did expect him to kind of have the same rebounding performance that he did against Boston College, where it was a little shaky in the first half, but second half adjustments came in and he looked a lot better. Uh, I think I believe Clemson was down 23-13 to Notre Dame at the half, and they came back and made it a very tightly contested ball game. So uh, good stuff from him. And I, I've already seen fans of uh, NFL teams that are in the cellars every year uh, saying that they want DJ on their team in 2023. So that's a great enough performance against a real contender in Notre Dame to uh, to inspire hope in the hearts of many. Does this change any bit of the college football playoff right now? Is, or is this only creating a greater chance for a two ACC team playoff? Yeah, yeah I, I think so. Like, that's that's the route that we're going because... You would expect Clemson to come back and win this game in the ACC championship game, uh, just based off the fact that they're Clemson. Notre Dame has uh, not really impressed in big games in recent memory. Uh, they've been at the top for a little while, and then uh, when when they get to the playoffs or when they get to the games that matter down the stretch, they they choke away and finish in like fifth or sixth. So, uh, if that trend is to be upheld, then you could see a great argument for uh, Clemson to really overtake the top ACC seed, and then for Notre Dame to slide in as the four seed. Exactly. It'll be kind of that Georgia-Alabama mix yeah. that we had a few years ago, even though they didn't, they didn't play each other that year. But it also helps that Florida took down the Gator, or took down the Dogs on Saturday pretty convincing fashion. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break here. I know teased you a little bit with that, for, <laughs> with the little bit of that rivalry game there. But we'll talk about that on the second in the second half with Brett Rutherford. Stay tuned to Tomahawk Talk Live on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Watching the hours, though we live on the U.S. dollar. You and me, we got our own sense of time. i 
breathing, damn it, Hannah. There's no future, there's no answer. Though we live on the U.S. dollar, you and me, we got our own sense of time. Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk, live on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We are joined now by Brett Rutherford, former host of Tomahawk Talk, current host of uh, Raise Your Voice on DeRay's Bay on Sports Na- or on SB Nation. Sebastian, you're back. I'd love to see that. But, Brett, how you doing, man? Well, good. I mean, I'm, I'm still re- coming to uh, the realization that you guys are just going to call me when my teams lose, so the Rays lose the World Series. I come on last Monday. The Bucks do what they did on Sunday Night Football against the Saints, and here I am again. But I guess if that's the role I'm going to play, uh, so be it. I'm, I'm glad to be here, Gary. You are our new court jester. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got tired of poking fun about the Falcons. Now we're on to Tampa sports. <laughs> God bless that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, we left off talking about the Florida Georgia rivalry game. Florida took down Georgia 44 to 28 in convincing fashion. I mean, that was. It looked close in the first quarter or so and then just got out of hand quickly. Georgia just has no offense. It's ugly. But that was the first win for the Gators against the Dogs since 2016. Are the Gators going to be able to contend with Alabama and when, if and when they make it to the SEC title game? Uh, well, I mean, they're going to get to the title game. They beat Georgia now. and That was, that was the, really the last hurdle compete with Alabama? I mean, yeah, they'll be on the same field as them for 60 <laughs> minutes of football in the SEC title game. I wouldn't give them a great shot at winning, uh, but that's not... I, I do want to give a lot of credit to the Florida Gators. The, they've got an amazing team, probably a top-five team in the country, and they're going to be right in the thick of things when it comes to trying to get to the college football playoff. I can agree with that. I mean, you, you look at the play that Kyle Trask uh, gave you on Saturday... 30 of 43 for 474 yards and four touchdowns. Like, that's c- considering the uh, the UGA defense, how stout it's been this season. Uh, that was surprising for me. Uh, I, I am not a huge Kyle Trask believer, but the people who say he is the best quarterback in the SEC were, were vindicated on Saturday. And just on, on the UGA side, real quick, since I am sort of a UGA homer, uh, Stetson Bennett's not it. I know that he got he got uh, injured towards the end of the end of the first half, rather. Came back into the game uh, after a few plays from uh, what's Dwayne Mathis, yeah. But five of sixteen for seventy-eight yards. I mean, that's that's not going to cut it, and, and it just it cuts even deeper knowing that you have uh, you had Justin Fields in the program a couple years ago, and then he took off for Ohio State because he stuck with game manager Jake Fromm. But back to how if, how Florida can compete. I mean, they they have a strong offense. Uh, Kyle Trask uh, and Pitts, the tight end, is incredible. So. They will be on the same field as Alabama, but I would definitely lean Alabama in that affair as well. Florida still has – they have some – They have. They, let's just say they have games on their schedule. It's yep. not really tough games at all. They go against Arkansas this weekend, Vanderbilt the next, Kentucky, then Tennessee, and then LSU. So, I mean, not really any tough competition the, uh, the way out of here, but there might be a chance for them to get caught sleeping on one game, especially if – was it Pitts? Uh, Kyle Pitts, I believe, will be out for this week against uh, against Arkansas. So mm. hey, maybe Felipe Frank's revenge game oh, this weekend in the swamp. Who knows? But let's talk about the rest of this college football playoff kind of landscape that we got. Is there any chance for any sort of uh, power five or non power five school to make it? Because as of right now, it's looking like it's because just be number seven Cincinnati and number eight BYU. My BYU. <laughs> Your BYU. No love okay. for seven and zero Coastal Carolina. 
okay, they got play. They got to play a team. They got to play some better competition. I like how they've been uh, running it up there, but they're not BYU. They're not Cincinnati. They're not the blue bloods right now of the group of six. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what it's going to take is you know this year. If there's a year that a, a group of five school gets in, it's this year. But the path for, for Cincinnati, who are, are, are definitely the best group of five team in the country, uh, it's just not really there. Uh, you would need to see Clemson lose another game, and they will play Notre Dame in the ACC title game most likely. Um, but even then, like Texas A&M might have the benefit of the doubt where they have, they're have a one-loss team and they don't have to play in a conference championship game. Could that be what propels them into the top four into the college football playoff over an undefeated uh, American champ in, in Cincinnati? I don't know. It's, it's Again, we say this year after year, uh, the path is just really, really tough. A lot of stuff has to go right for a team like Cincinnati. One, they've got to go undefeated. But a lot of stuff for uh, the rest of the country has to go right for them. And I mean, it's just so hard to predict. You know, some co- like the Pac-12 only has a six-game schedule. So I, I don't think any of those teams are – not, I don't know. I don't want to use the word eligible, but will they even be considered? I don't know. It's just college football is insane this year. Yeah, it's it's the same discussion that we've been touching on really every week since college football came back, or at least since the Big Ten was getting ready to come back. Are any of these teams that are going to play shorter schedules, like the Big Ten, I believe, is playing eight games, uh, could be shortened uh, by by COVID if any games get postponed? Obviously, there there have been some, but specifically. For Ohio State, who was the favorite to come out of that conference, uh, if they blow out all their opponents, go eight and zero, seven and zero, whatever, will they get the nod over, say, like a Texas A and M, like you mentioned, that had one loss on their schedule and didn't get to the conference championship game? We don't know. There's just so many discussions here, and while this would be the time for a uh, a non Power Five school to make it in, I think, like, based on what I'm seeing right now, you are going to get two ACC teams in the college football playoff in Clemson and Notre Dame. Alabama's going to make it in, or if by some miracle Florida can overtake them in the SEC championship game. And then that, that third slot, it's it's entirely up for grabs. It's going to be Ohio State. Um, I was about to say, like, oh, wait, like did, don't, don't did, forget about them. Did I not say Ohio State? I think you just mentioned Alabama and oh, sh- two yeah. ACC schools. My goodness, okay. Yeah, so uh, don't, forget, don't forget about the Buckeyes. Ryan Day's <laughs> still here, but he ain't going nowhere anytime soon. Yeah. So. I think that kind of settles our college football playoff stuff. We're yeah. getting we're gonna get to the rankings. I believe next week they come out, or this week. I don't even know. They, ESPN's not really done a great job marketing that one on I, their behalf. I have lost all track of time. I have no idea when they come out. Exactly, but yeah. So let's talk about a little bit about the NFL and let's start with the big game. The reason we got Brett on for this show. Just kidding. We. <laughs> We love to have you on, but uh, but I made it just on time for this. Oh one. yeah, Sebastian, you came in just in time too. Shoot, yeah. So we got oh, that yeah. too. So, but the New Orleans Saints came into Tampa and opened a can of you know what on the Buccaneers on Sunday night, winning thirty-eight to three. What what went what went wrong, guys? What what went wrong? Tom Brady, how about him? <laughs> a, a lot went wrong, and, and Tom Brady, uh, the, definitely his worst game so far in a Bucs uniform. But the defense was just absolutely destroyed. I go back to week one when these two teams met up in New Orleans, and the Saints beat the Bucks by multi- multiple scores. It looked a lot closer, though, and if you looked at the numbers, it was a close game that hints on about two or three plays. But I considered that game almost like a preseason game for both teams, but for the Bucks with a new quarterback and, and uh, year two of this coaching staff, I treated it as a preseason game. I wasn't going to take a whole lot of stock into it. I, say, I said, hey, once we meet the Saints again in week nine, Things are going to be a lot different, and things are different about the Bucks. They are still one of the best teams in the NFC, uh, but when they when they played last night, it just nothing went well for the Bucks. Uh, it was still the Bucks only their first loss at home. They're still six and three, a half game behind the, the Saints in the division. But yeah, Tom Brady, an absolutely uh, terrible performance uh, on Sunday Night Football. There's really no other way to explain it. Tom Brady was 22 for 38, uh, 209 yards, and what I love the most, three interceptions, no touchdowns. That's just music to my ears. <laughs> See, I'm 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 usually you know a goat homer here on this um, on this radio station. You know, I've been pretty I've been extremely patient with Tom Brady. I've been pretty patient with the entire system because I understand uh, when you bring in the components that you brought into the um, the organization this year, you've brought in so many different cogs to make this watch tick in a way that is completely different from last year. Uh, last year's Buccaneers could not be more different. And I think the, 
like like Brent is what Brent's touching on is that like we're just one. Well, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are one win away from matching last year's record. It's week ten. Still got seven games to go. So uh, if if you want to look at it from from somebody within Tampa who's like, okay, where is this team going to go? From when when someone like Tom Brady uh, comes into your program or organization rather, you know your your levels of expectations like jump dramatically. Whereas last year, if I did, if I you told me, look, the Bucks are going to be six and three coming into Week Ten, and that's one game off, like I said, from matching this year's record, uh, and Jameis is no longer at the helm, and you've got all these pieces that are going to complement this central piece. I'm going to say, like, wow, that's that's great. This game, this team has absolutely exceeded my expectations for where they should be, one year removed from the Jameis era. Okay, so these last couple of games, they they haven't looked necessarily pretty. I mean, 25 to 23 no, win over the Giants. Was, the Giants game. You know what's funny? I, I immediately said after the Giants game, okay, that was the trap game. I'm glad we escaped the trap game. I think we can move on uh, when it comes to spectating this team. But I was, uh, I was, I was kind of wrong about that. Okay. <laughs> um, this this wasn't a trap game so much as it was like, a, well, it was a trap in the same way that the Battle of Little Bighorn was a trap. You know that one. Uh, you know that one battle with uh, General Cussler or whatever his name was. Yes. I, oh, I know the battle of Little. Uh, yeah. No, this, is oh, what, yes. this was the battle of Little Bighorn <laughs> on a football field. Um, I've always said. Well, I haven't always said, but the Bucks never really show up in prime time. Like I, I stopped watching after halftime because there was really nothing there. That's that's not good news if the Bucks don't show up in prime time. I think a lot of the postseason is kind of played in prime time. time. So, yeah. But, Brett, is there anything to be worrying about? I mean, they got the Panthers this next week, and then they're, they're arguably the two toughest stretch of games that they have. They go up against the Rams in Tampa Bay and also the Chiefs in Tampa Bay, back-to-back weeks. Is there... Uh, yeah, yeah, there's definitely, like something to be worried about. So the Bucks are missing Ali Marpet. They're starting left guard in last night's game. Joe Haig slots in there. He doesn't implode. He wasn't terrible, but there was definitely a, a glaring hole there. And also, I, I think you're you're starting to see what happens when Vita Vea is, is injured and off of this team. Um, he was the, the key cog in this defense, which was so good at stopping the run, not only this year, but last year, too, if you look at their numbers against the run. And without him, he's really a player that, in terms of how he's built and his talent level, is irreplaceable. Now, they tried. They brought in Steve McClendon. They got him from the New York Jets. They got Raheem uh, Nunez-Rochez. But teams, especially like the Saints, uh, are going to be able to, to exploit that because Vita Vea, like, he does leave a glaring hole. So, yeah, the Bucks are going to make the playoffs. Oh, yeah, uh, I don't think anyone's done that. The standings. The, the next team that would be competing for them would be the, the 4 and 5 49ers. When, if, if they go on a run, they probably knock down either the Cardinals or the Rams, who are two other wild card contenders. Uh, the Bucks are going to make the playoffs. And if you look at a friend, and I know it's a win now, I know it's Super Bowl or bust for a lot of people and for a lot of Bucks fans, but the Bucks haven't made the playoffs in 13 years. So from my yeah. standpoint, making the playoffs and, and whoever they're matched up with, competing in that game, uh, making it a close game, that's the goal this season, and they're still very much on pace to do that. What do you have the Bucks going in those next three games? Um, let me pull up their schedule. They go, the they Panthers. go Panther, Panthers on the road, Rams in Tampa, Chiefs in Tampa. Um, I, you know, I think they're a good enough team to take two out of three. They, they beat the Panthers. Uh, they're a much better team than the Panthers, even though the Panthers did look good against the Chiefs. I'll give them credit for that. And I, I really like Matt Rule and what he's doing. And they have McCaffrey back. But they beat the Panthers, and I think they're good enough to win – one of the two games against the Rams and the Chiefs, who are two pretty good teams. They're probably evenly matched with the Rams. Uh, the Chiefs are a better team at this point. But if you beat the Panthers and split the Rams and Chiefs, you're looking at an 8-4 and four record. Uh, you're still winning two out of every three games, which is the pace they've set for themselves. And, uh, I, yeah, I think, I think that would be a, a, a good goal for, for, Bucks to ha- for the Bucks to have. And if you get to that point when you're 8-4, and four, you have two games left against the Falcons. So looking at 10-4. and four. That is very true. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Sebastian, you got two and three as well coming out of those three I, games? I, I just don't know because I going into this week's game, I figured there are there are only three high watermark games uh, this season. There's week one, there's week nine, and there's week twelve. Uh, I, the Chiefs game would be week twelve, right? 
that that's the game that they go into the bye for, or is it week 11? 10, no, it would be the week 12 game. So they, they come off the, so I want to contextualize that because, you know, week the week one high watermark is obviously the game against the Saints. That's the shakedown game, kind of the preseason game, like Brett said. Week nine, this is the game that you spend the last three weeks preparing for. Because this is, um, I always think that this, the Saint series is the most important series far and away that the Buccaneers mm-hmm. play every single year. There's one game that I hope of winning. Uh, because, you know, with, with like uh, like Brett said, 13 years without a playoff, you know, you, if you can take six uh, wins in a year, you're not happy with the Buccaneers, but, like, that's a par for the course result for the Buccaneers. On the most part, they, they cruise at around four to seven wins every year. Um, so that this is why, like, things are so different nowadays. But um, two, and and then the, two and three or no? Yeah. Or, sorry, two and one in those next three? Two, two and one, I, I suppose so. Um, I'd want to see something out of this organ or out of this team uh going into that air, uh, that game at home against the Chiefs it's just the Chiefs are on another level on another level I don't know if you can call the Buccaneers fraudulent just yet no. but no. um they still have a lot of like identity to establish I I I drank the Kool-Aid way too quickly on them I'm not I'm not down I'm not jumping ship I'm not off the bandwagon or I guess off the ship but um <laughs> It's, it's, well, it's, it's, too, it's a long way to go. Cause I, this I, thought team, I, I thought I knew what this team was, and now I really don't. Well, I mean, this team is still I'll, growing. I'll push back there, though. Look what they did against the Packers, 38-10. to 10. <laughs> Then they go on the road, and they beat the Raiders by 15. And then you go into a Monday night game, uh, which looked, you know, that it might be a trap game. And they pull off the win against the Giants, who I know are a great team. They're definitely better than their record shows. And you pull off that win. And when you win those games, those close games, you build up this, this sort of win capital where you can lose games like the one you played last night. Now, you hope that you don't lose them in that fashion, 38-3 to that's on your what, home But that's what, that's what I'm saying. Football, if we're, if we're gonna, in terms of the standings, they're, they're very much fine. If we're going to shift the scales, though, if we're, if we're like our expectations are playoffs, like, sure, you can, you can go into can, the Kansas City game saying, probably going to lose this game. It's probably not going to affect the, uh, the playoff picture for the Buccaneers. But uh, you, you kind of, when you... Like I said, the the expectations have shifted it, contextually within the past two years. Like, if I, I have, if me from w- right after week seven seventeen against the the Falcons after that pick six, you tell me, look, man, week ten six and three, I'm I'm like great. I can't, I I really hope I see that improvement. I'm really excited. That gives me hope. Super Bowl champions, baby, because that's what we always say every year. Um, Buccaneers fans, we're like anything remotely good happens in the postseason. Immediately, we're like Super Bowl champions. It's like it's gonna happen. It, it's just the way this abusive relationship is. You get your hopes <laughs> up way too high, and you know you were you were humbled within week four. I I think that humbling is is coming has finally come to collect week nine. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm not pessimistic. I was really angry last night because I I just. I just don't like the Saints, man. Well, yeah, that's it's a rivalry game. It's yeah. just how it goes. I mean, Austin agrees with you on this a whole 110%. But let's talk about let's keep it moving to the rest of the teams in the NFL. Another team in Florida that usually has very low expectations and is now playing pretty darn well, the Miami Dolphins. They took down the Arizona Cardinals 34 to 31 in a shootout in the desert on Sunday afternoon. Tua is looking a lot better than he was that first game. The first game against the Rams he only tallied up about 93 yards, 12 for 22, and one touchdown. This week against Kyler Murray's Cardinals, he was 20 for 28, 248 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, what a game. I mean, two is looking really good now. I'm really excited about my Dolphins and how they've been playing. Is there anything about two that you guys have noticed, good or bad, that you kind of want to get your uh, speak your piece about? Yeah, I, I really like what I've seen out of Tua. And the Dolphins are a team that I said week six that they were going to make the playoffs. And I said that uh, thinking that Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to be at the helm because he's playing this season probably some of the best football, if not the best football of his career, besides those two weeks a couple years ago with the Bucks. Um, but they go to Tua. I thought in terms of winning this year might not have been the most advantageous move, but it's a move they made, and so far – it's looking really good. They they pulled off a, a win, a 34-31 win, in a great game against the Cardinals. Uh, Tua looks, I'll say it, uh, he looks very raw. There's a lot of refinement there to do. 
But the way he's playing, it's electric. It's fun to watch. And the Dolphins have really put themselves in a great position to compete for a spot in the playoffs this year. Yeah, raw is the exact word that I would use, and that means that that can mean both. There's a lot of improvement to be made, but it's also very fun to watch. Like you said, like go, just watching Tua Tagovailoa and Kyler Murray uh, do what they did yesterday. We mentioned Monday night, uh, past Monday night, that it was going to be sort of like a look at the changing of the guards because these are two of the quarterbacks that are going to lead this next era of the NFL. We think uh, this next era of quarterbacks in the NFL, at least. So it was really fun to watch there. Um, I, I only caught the tail end of the game uh, when people were, when I noticed that it was a closer game than I really expected it to be. I kind of expected Arizona to run away with it, uh, just based on what I saw from Tua in his first start. But I mean, he really impressed me. Uh, he showed he didn't he didn't have a turnover. Didn't have a turnover. Oh, so. he almost had one. He the one thing that one of my big negatives right now about Tua is his willingness or his ability to throw the ball away yeah, right now. And yeah. that's obviously the big glaring negative right here. He should have had, almost had that one interception in the first quarter where he was rolling uh, to his left and uh, Gasecki was over on the sideline. Gasecki thought Tua was going to run, so Gasecki pulls back like he's about to block, and then Tua throws it right at the Arizona defender who, luckily for his sake, steps right out of bounds with the ball in his hand. So that was ruled incomplete. But for the Dolphins... And that get, that was a huge game for them to win because Kyler Murray was dominating the whole way through. He yeah. had over 100 rushing yards, over 280 passing yards, and three, what was it? He had four touchdowns. I mean, they couldn't stop the guy at all in the first half or the third quarter. But in those last couple drives for the Cardinals, the Dolphins managed to stand tall and make a couple stops and was eventually able to win that game thanks to San, Jason Sanders kicking some field goals. So big win for the Dolphins. They're now officially in the playoff hunt. And they have an easy four games ahead of them. They take on the Chargers next week, the Broncos, Jets, and then Bengals. So those are four winnable games right there. Four yeah, games I've that got I... a stat for you. What was that? The, the Miami Dolphins are fourth in the NFL in point differential. So points scored, subtracted by points allowed. They would be tops in the NFC. They have a plus 61 point differential. They're only trailing the Chiefs at plus 103, the Ravens at plus 85, and the Pittsburgh Steelers at plus 74. So the Dolphins, not only are they winning, they're winning games handily. Go back to the game against the Jets, the 49ers, the Jaguars. I know those aren't all great teams. The 49ers are pretty good. The, the Rams, they beat the Rams pretty bad. Yeah. And they beat the Rams by 11, right? Yeah. So, I mean, this team is good. And like, with these four easy games, relatively easy games ahead of them, I like them at least winning two or three of these. So I think that's a really fair assessment there. But their last four are going to be tough. They go Chiefs, Patriots, Raiders, Bills three of which are playoff teams right now, the Patriots will always give the Dolphins trouble. But this would be statistically the one game against the Patriots that the Dolphins win because it is in Miami and is the second time they've played them this year. So I digress. Let's move on from the Dolphins. I don't think too many people want to hear about the Dolphins anymore because I will go on for ages about them. Uh, Actually, let's not talk about the Bills. I mean, the Bills game was very interesting, but I don't know how many more people want to hear AFC East talk because the Bills are playing good football. Josh Allen's looking solid, but... Let's keep moving. But the big game, I think Steelers-Cowboys. Yep. That one was a bit of a shock. Steelers were two touchdown favorites, I believe, or a little bit over that. And the Cowboys and Garrett Gilbert, AAF legend, Orlando Apollos, comes and punches them in the mouth, gets but still loses 24-19. Brett, are the Steelers okay, or what's their deal? Was this just a look-ahead game they got caught in? Yeah, the Steelers are fine. You're going to see close games like this in the NFL. I, I was only kind of half watching this game. I had red zone on in the background, and I placed a, uh, a live wager on the Cowboys, thinking that uh, Ben DiNucci was the quarterback in this game. Come to find out it was Garrett Gilbert, formerly of the Orlando Apollos, uh, who put up a valiant fight, but ultimately the Steelers pulled ahead, and, and, and that's fine. They're, they're a good team. They've, they've also got a lot of pretty, you know, they, they handled the Eagles. They handled the Browns. That was probably their biggest one of the season. They were playing a lot of close games, and one of the, one or two of those games is going to come back to bite them. But the Steelers should not be worried. That's a mean, mean defense they've got in Pittsburgh. Yeah, they have a mean defense, and really one of the biggest, uh, not flaws really, but one of the biggest areas of concern that people have pointed to it, it has been the play of Ben Roethlisberger this season. And he had a, a really get-right game against Dallas. Uh, 306 yards, three touchdowns, 113.8 passer rating. So, I mean, Dallas's defense is obviously not the cream of the crop in the NFL, but if ever there was a game for him to sort of get back on the right track uh, as this team is making a playoff push, that's the one. 
though there is concern about uh, his brief visit to the uh, the locker room yesterday. He had some injuries to both knees, but the team is, I think, optimistic that he's going to be able to play this weekend. So hopefully those aren't too big of an issue for him moving forward, because if he is if he is a well-oiled machine and that defense is as mean as it's been for the first half of the season, they are a legit threat to uh, unseat the Chiefs in the playoffs. I agree. And it was crazy to see him go for two touchdowns in that fourth quarter while banged up the yeah. way he was, because... After that hit that he took, he was moving slow. Yeah. I mean, like, I saw the next couple of passes he threw, and he was barely taking steps. Like, he was did not want to put a ton of pressure on. I think it, his right knee looked worse from what I saw than his left knee. So I think he was really trying to just keep some pressure off. But, hey, he's still able to get the job done, hopefully. Or he might be in a couple walking boots this afternoon. <laughs> who knows? But... I think, do we have any, do you guys have any other points in the NFL that you'd like to bring up? Because I know we talked kind of about the big games so far from this past weekend. I love the the NFC East. I really love it. Um, A a ton of terrible teams. One of them is going to make the playoffs. And I do want to go back real quick. I know we want to talk maybe about the Masters. Um, But Peter, Doug Peterson, the Philadelphia Eagles, a lot of people gave him a lot of crap for quote unquote playing for the tie a few weeks back against the Bengals. That tie. Looks like it could really come in handy for the Eagles, who are still in first place in the NFC East, and that tie could end up putting them in the playoffs. So I just want to give Doug Peterson a shout out. It's looking oh. he's looking like a genius right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty, and I mean, how how weird is it that uh, a tie is going to be what gets you into the playoffs? I, I, I think I think I saw it in the NFC South a couple of years ago. We saw it uh, twenty fourteen when the Panthers made the playoffs at seven eight and one. And that Week 17 game between the Panthers and Falcons was for the division, and the Panthers were really only in it because they had tied whoever they played. I think it was the Bengals actually. So it was same... the Bengals did have a tie that year. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. A, a tie might not might not feel as, or a tie might feel worse than a loss, but objectively, it is it is better for than sure. a loss. So yes. go go Eagles, go NFC East. They should have a primetime game. Every Please, no week. more NFC East them. primetime games. Yes, Nobody more, wants to more, watch more. NFC primetime game, NFC East primetime games. Fine, you get no NFC East primetime game, but you're going to get Patriots, Jets, and you're going to like it tonight. Uh, <laughs> but I want Redskins, Giants, every game for the rest of the season. Please, no. The, the big thing for me in the NFC East is, do you really actually want to go to the playoffs? Do you actually want to do that? I, for, I for the fans, I, you want to go to the playoffs, obviously. But you're not really going to – I don't think you can, you're going to get anything out of it because at the end of the day, you make the playoffs. You get a playoff. You, get, you <laughs> they get, make the playoffs. They, they get the playoffs. Yeah, Players but love the you, playoffs. But you're, they're not going to – nobody from the NFC East is going to do anything. Why not us? They're going to they're gonna go in that. with the mentality. Why not us? They can up, I bet you they. I bet you the NFC East team that wins this – or makes it into the playoffs – Wins a playoff game. I can, yeah. see, you know what, Gary? I, you're right. I can see it now. Exactly. I can see it. Final snap of the game. Uh, Carson Wentz dives out of the pocket, dodges left, dodges right, does a spin move to dodge a tackle, just throws it down. Uh, a receiver somehow miraculously makes a catch in the end zone. Game goes final. Eagles 17. Whoever the where the hell they're playing? 47. Exactly. It's going to be beautiful. Just wait. Just wait and watch and learn. So, but like uh, my my point is is that like you if you place second in the NFC East, you're basically guaranteed a top ten pick. Pretty much in this draft. If you go to the playoffs, you are looking at best I think an 18 uh, a number or uh, uh, like you're at number 18 in the draft or something like that. Yeah, it, it's not it's, it's not crazy, ideal for a depleted team that needs you know f- a fresh set of legs somewhere. We might have to call Alex Crutch if we want to do a- <laughs> NFC East talk, but oh we got to get to the big thing. I know we're just pushing up against the hour and we're pushing and we're pushing it right now, but the Masters, it's back. We get it finally. We've been waiting since April, and we get it in the fall. We get the rye. We get the ryegrass in the fairway. We get the bent greens. And we're going to have Tiger coming in defending his uh, sixth title, pushing for seven. But he's going to have to go through big boy Bryson DeChambeau, DJ, Rory, Brooks, all the names. So who do you guys have to win right now? I know you guys might not be the most prepared for golf talk, but I've been watching it. I've always watched the Houston Open was a lot of fun this past week, and I could do a whole episode on golf. But yeah. Any picks? Yeah, I did a little bit of homework because, as you mentioned, I'm not the most well-versed in golf. Uh, my dad is. I had a couple opportunities to learn the game from him, but never really took him up on that. Uh, could have served me well for this show. But I'm going to take the FSU angle here and say Brooks Kepka because he he's had some good performances recently. I mean, obviously not 2020 because the PGA Championship didn't really go his way. It's tied for 29th. And, I mean, 
that's the only major tournament that he's even placed in. He's so. been a bit banged up. That's my only issue with him, but yeah. he's coming off an injury. He played yeah. pretty well this past weekend in Houston, so that's not a bad pick right now. I don't hate it. Brett, do you got anything? I, I'm going with Hideki Matsuyama, 25-1 to 1 to win the Masters. That's going to be my bet. But also, if I'm going to place a safer bet, Gary, you might not be too happy to hear this. No. Bryson DeChambeau. No. I think this could really be – He obviously, he won a, he's won a major this year already. This could be his true coming out party where he kind of skyrockets himself to the top of the golf world. And I really like him on this course. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I really like Bryson this weekend. It's going to be close, though. It's going to be good. DJ's in there. Obviously, Rory, Xander, Brooks, all going to be competing. But give me either Hideki or Bryson. Sebastian, you got a quick pick? Yeah, uh, honestly, the biggest winners this weekend are going to be fans of golf. The patrons. Fine. It's the patrons. They're not yeah. fans. They're oh, patrons. Oh, no, sorry. Yes, the, uh, the patrons of golf. This is assuming that, you know, Tropical Storm Edda doesn't reach Augusta in mm. time uh, because that, that storm is currently bulldozing its way through what I think are the Ever- Everglades at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's already made its peace with Miami. Um, but yeah, but it's apart good. from that, it's, it's, it's just fantastic to see. Like, I have something to look forward to because I don't really have Seminole football to look forward to. I don't really have Buccaneer football to look forward to. Well, hopefully I do. But, um, you just, know, just sit back, relax with a couple beers, in, uh, and watch watch the fun in Augusta. And listen to the sweet, soothing sounds of Jim Nance talking over the birds chirping in Augusta, the quiet creek rolling, Ray's Creek. But it's all going to be taken over when DJ takes it home. He's just on the cusp of winning. He's been on fire lately. He hasn't... He hasn't had a finish worse than top ten in his last four or in his last four Masters, and he's been in the top ten uh, in his last six or so PGA events. So a man is on fire. I love the way he's playing. He's the world number one. Last time I picked the world number one last year, Justin Rose, he lost. So maybe DJ gets it done this time, but who knows? I'm excited for it. I'm really excited. But uh, if you're looking for other two guys to maybe take as long shots, Tony Finau, Xander Shoffley, love those two guys. But I think that's all we have for this episode of Tomahawk Talk. Thank you, Brett, for joining us this episode. Really appreciate you calling in. We'd love to have you back anytime to talk after another Buccaneers loss. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be there. All right, sounds good. Well, for myself, for Austin, and for Sebastian in the booth, and for Max Rundy on Twitter, thank you for listening to Tomahawk Talk. I know we ran over our time just a little bit tonight, but hopefully it was worth it. So we'll talk to you next time or next week.